The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, we are in the, uh, the second week of a, a series we're in this Advent season, which is the, the season leading up to Christmas, and, and we're calling the series For the Love. Uh, and in this series, what, what we're recognizing is that uh, as we anticipate Christmas, we anticipate the day that, that Jesus Christ was born on this earth, that he came to this earth, not only as God incarnate, he certainly did come as God incarnate, but he came as love incarnate, that he shows us what love looks like. And so this Advent season, we're asking the question, what does it mean if, if we're going to receive Jesus as love incarnate? How does his love, how does God's love for us in Jesus then have a ripple effect into the rest of our relationships? And so the way we're exploring that is the, the four uh, Greek words for love. Uh, and so last week we looked at, at storge, you can see it up here, which is the idea of uh, familial affection. We didn't misspell storage, it's storge. And um, we had that question last week, so, uh, so, so we didn't misspell storage. Uh, but storge, familial love. Uh, this week we're going to look at, at philia, uh, which is, is friendship love. And then next week we're going to look at eros, which is romantic love. And then the week after that we're going to look at agape, which is, is kind of this steadfast love, this covenant eternal type love. And so that's what we'll be looking at uh, this Advent series. Um, but that's the series. But this week, let's get into it. We are exploring friendship, philia, uh, phileo. It's the, the verb form for it, philia. And it seems simple enough, like friendship seems like a simple enough topic, like, okay, be a friend, it's a good, a good thing to do. But I think sometimes we, we underestimate the importance of friendship in our lives. Uh, and there's a reason for this. Uh, C.S. Lewis points this out in, in his book, The Four Loves, is uh, he says, friendship of all the loves is, is the least natural. It's, it's the least biological, it's the least organic, it's the least sort of intrinsic to who we are, uh, which makes sense, right? If you think about it, uh, without eros, without romantic love, none of us would be here, right? We know how that works, okay? With, with, without, without storge, without familial love, uh, none of us would be raised, none of us would be reared, so we need that. But friendship, biologically speaking, you don't actually need. You don't need. And yet, what we'll see in the Bible today, what God's Word tells us, is that in order to live a wise life, we need to have good friends. We need to have good friends. And so here's what that's, that's looked like for me. Um, so uh, when I graduated from seminary, my, my best friend from seminary, Josh, and I, uh, we both got calls to plant churches, uh, but we both had to go train in different places to, to, to start new churches. And so uh, he went to Hot Springs, Arkansas, uh, and I went to Lakeway, Texas. I got the better end of the deal. And, um, and so, so we went there and we had to train for a year. Now, he's from the, the Bay Area in California, uh, and I'm from Detroit. And so for him to be in Arkansas and me to be in Texas was like major cultural whiplash, right? Like we were just trying to fit, like what is with saying y'all and the accents and I lie, what is going on, right? So we're, we're figuring that out. But then on top of that, like he and I had been in school for eight years at that point. And we still both had another year of training to go. And we were like raring to go. We wanted to plant churches, but we had this year of training where we had to learn from these old guys for a year before we could do what we wanted to do. And so like every other day, he and I would talk on the phone and we would just commiserate about what was going on and the struggles we were facing and, and what was happening. And, and what was amazing was that even though we were miles apart, that forged a really deep friendship in us. Because we were in similar situations, we knew each other well, and so it forged this deep friendship. But it also, it kept us wise. That friendship kept us wise. And I mean that 
relatively speaking, right? Uh, so relatively wise. And so when I would get sort of arrogant and, and proud, as I'm prone to do, uh, Josh would level me out and chop me down to size. And as he would get sort of frustrated and mopey at the difficulty of his training, I'd encourage him and be like, bro, you just got to persevere. And so there's this bond that I, I couldn't have with anyone else at that time. There's this bond that I shared with no one else, like not even my family, not even my wife could share that bond. It was, it was a unique friendship, but it was necessary. And that's, that's the reality of friendship. Friendship is a unique love. It's a unique love, but it's a necessary one. And that's what we're going to see in our text today. We're first of all going to see the uniqueness of friendship. And then secondly, we're going to see how to forge good friendships. And then thirdly, we're going to see the strength to do that. So we'll see the uniqueness of friendship, the forging of a friendship, and the strength to be a friend. And so as we uh, get into our text today, let me just say a, a quick word about the book of the Bible that we're looking at today. Uh, we're, we're in the book of Proverbs, uh, and Proverbs is, is classified as, as wisdom literature, uh, which means it, it operates a little bit differently than other biblical texts. Like wisdom literature, really the, the purpose of it is to teach us how to, how to navigate the world well, how to, how to teach us to, to think critically and to, and to uh, live and move in this world well in areas where maybe the, the moral choice isn't clear-cut, in areas where maybe it's, it's not really a moral choice at all, but we just, what's the smart decision here? That's what Proverbs is about, is shaping us to live in this world well. And so it reads differently. So if you've been here before, you know that normally when we do a sermon, uh, I'll, I'll start with the text and we just kind of follow the flow of either the narrative or the flow of the argument. Proverbs doesn't work like that. Like it's just sort of rapid fire shoots nuggets of wisdom at you. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to be jumping all over our text for today. So you guys just hang with me, all right? We'll just, we'll just uh, jump all over the text together, all right? So let's get going. The uniqueness of friendship. Uh, if you look with me at verse 10 in our text, the first part of verse 10, it says this. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. All right, so this verse says, do not forsake your friend or your father's friend and don't go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. What's it saying? What's it saying? Well, it's saying, first of all, don't forsake your friends. So it's saying, have friends. Keep your friends. Friends are important. And then he goes on to say and says, don't go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. What does that mean? Well, I think what he's getting at is that, hey, when, when hard times come, when calamity comes, you're, of course, family's going to be there. You should anticipate that. That's how it works. But what, what the writer of these Proverbs is saying is saying, listen, you need to have something beyond that. You need to have friends that you can go to. It can't just be family. You have to have something beyond that. Now, recognize how revolutionary this proverb would have been at the time it was written. See, this would, this, the first audience for this proverb would have been the, the ancient Hebrew people. And, and their culture was much more familial than ours. And we love our families, but... Everything was about the family at that time. Your identity, your security, your wealth, everything centered around the family. And here, God's word, the Bible says, hey, family's great, but you got to have friends. And see, this is what happens. Uh, ancient cultures and traditional cultures, what they'll do, as, as we think about love, is they'll elevate familial love as the highest of all the loves. That's what traditional cultures do. They say, hey, everything's about the family. You find your place in family. You find your role in family. Everything's about that. For those of us in our culture, in a, in a Western culture, a modern culture, individualistic, liberal culture, uh, we elevate romantic love above all the loves, right? I mean, think about every movie we see is basically centered on romantic love. There's not very many that are like, 
and they were just a great group of friends, right? Like, it's, it's all about the love story. When, 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 you're, when you're checking out at the, the grocery store line, the, the headlines on the magazines aren't about who's best friends with who, right? They're about who's sleeping with who, right? That's, that's what our culture values. We, we elevate romantic love. Traditional culture elevates familial love. And what God's word does is he says, hey, how about we elevate friendship love? So not to the neglect of the other two, but to say, this matters. Friendship is really important. It's unique. Friendship is incredibly important. See, and I think as we get older, we start to think, man, maybe it's really not that important. But the reality is, when you're younger, things that shape you most, the people that shape you most are your family. As you get older, the people that shape you most are your friends. It's the circle that you choose to surround yourself with. And so the uniqueness of friendship is important. And so, so if that's important, so how, how do we be good friends and how do we get good friends? What does that look like? So that's, that's point two, the forging of friendship. How do we have good friends and how do we be good friends? And to do a, sort of a, a full theology of friendship this morning would take a lot more time than we have. Uh, but I think what we see in our text are, are three characteristics of good friendships that will help get us started uh, as, as we think about that. And those three are this, uh, presence, empathy, and candor. Presence, empathy, and candor. And so let's dig into them. Presence, if you look with me at the second part of verse 10, it says this, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So what's to say? Better is a, a neighbor or a friend that's near than a brother who's far away. So it's better to have a friend who's present than a family member that's far away. And so what that's getting at is that central to being a good friend is showing up, is being there. Central to being a good friend is just being present. And you know this, right? When the chips are down, it's your friends that are already there, right? You may have companions or acquaintances, people that really like you, that say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, can I pray for you? Hey, what do you need? But friends are already there. They're present. They're in the midst of it with you. Presence is central to good friendship. And so to be good friends, we have to prioritize that. We have to prioritize presence in each other's life. Presence. Secondly, to forge good friendship, we practice empathy. Look with me at verse 9 in our text. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. It says this, the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Now, the, the word earnest, uh, it literally means from the heart. Counsel from the heart. And so being a good friend involves counsel from the heart. So what does that mean? It means that to be good friends, you're vulnerable. That you share what's in your heart, that you enter into another person's house, that you don't hold friends at a distance, but you bring the other into your life. You're empathetic towards them. Uh, in his essay on friendship, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson talks about friendship, and he says, uh, for friendship, the question, do you love me, is actually better phrased, do you see the same truth as me? Or another way to put it is, do you care about the same truth as I do? That in friendship, we enter into the questions, the views, the struggles of our friends. We may not exactly agree with all of them, but we enter into that space with them. We're empathetic with them. So just this last week, I was having lunch with a, with a few friends, and, uh, and one of my buddies uh, was talking about how he was trying to lead this thing in his organization, and it was not working. Things were not going well. 
And he just told us, he just said, hey, I just feel like a failure. I feel like I've just dropped the ball, like I'm not getting the job done. And, and in that moment, the three of us that were gathered at lunch with him got to empathize with him. We got to enter into that with him and say, hey, you're not alone in this. We're here with you. You're not alone in this. So friendship, it takes presence, it takes empathy, and thirdly, it takes candor. Look with me at verses 6 and 17 in our text. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, I love that, right? Because a friend speaks truth to you even when it hurts, right? Even when it stings, because they know that in the long run, that temporary wound is going to lead to a greater healing. This is candor. This is what it is to be open and honest in expression towards one another, and it's central to a good friendship. See, and and this is a a key distinction in friendship. Like, Like, you may have many companions, Like, you may have a bunch of people that that like you, you like them, you may even spend a lot of time together. But if you don't have someone speaking truth in your life, you don't have someone that you're honest with, that you have candor with, you don't really have friends. You have fans. But you don't have friends. We don't need fans, we need friends. So we have candor. I remember uh, when I was in college, I kind of got my first taste of leadership, my first role of leadership, and I I was working at a camp, and uh, in my job at this camp, I was basically in charge of about 10 of my peers. And, uh, you know, my first taste of authority, I, like, went power tripping big time. And, uh, and I was just kind of a complete idiot about my leadership. And, uh, and I, had my, I led my team in such a way where I was just, I was demanding that they work the exact same way I do or else they were doing it wrong. Uh, I demanded they work the same hours that I worked, even though that wasn't what they signed up for. And so I was just doing a poor job leadership. And, and oddly enough, on this team happened to be my best friend from second grade. Uh, so I was his boss, which is super awkward. And, uh, and so we're, we're working through it. But one day, uh, me and my team had this, like, explosive argument at camp. I think it was over some sort of critical conversation, like what songs we were going to sing with the kids that morning. But, uh, you know, it just turned into this heated thing. And uh, my, my best friend Ryan pulled me aside. And, uh, and I'll never forget, he just said, Gabe, like, you need to change, man. Like, the way you're leading is not working. It's not working for us, and it's not working for you. He's like, you're, you're not... This is not how you're supposed to be. This is not who you are. And I remember when he said that, like, I was so ticked at him. You know, I was like, come on. What are you talking about? You're just jealous. Da, da, da. I was just so mad. But ultimately, that's what I needed to hear. Right? Ultimately, that's what changed my leadership. That's what's changed my leadership forever. That's candor. That's the faithful wounds of a friend. And you need to receive that sometimes. You need friends that speak that truth into your life. And there are times when you need to do that and speak the truth and love to your friends. So presence, empathy, candor. Now, of course, that's not a complete list of what it is to be a good friend. Uh, but, you know, we got, we got things to do today. Uh, but, but I think it's a great place to start. And, and honestly, if we were to just look at that short list of characteristics, just that presence, just that empathy, just that candor, if we look at that, if we honest with ourselves and we think about it, like that is a tall order, right? To always be present for your friends, to be there when they need you, to always be empathetic, to enter into their struggles, to always speak the truth in love, to have candor with them. Like that is nearly impossible to do. That's a hard pill to swallow. And so how do we do that? See, there's an author who put it like this. He said, a good friend always lets you in and never lets you down. 
That's a good friend. That's what we want to be. Someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. But how do we do that? Like that's always lets you, always lets you in, never lets you down. That's impossible. So how do we even start to do that? That's point three, where we find the strength to be good friends, to be the friends we're called to be. See, in the last half of the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus is, is on his way to the cross. And, and in the last few chapters, he knows he's headed there. And, and you can see kind of in this, this whole dialogue, there's just like four chapters of him just talking to his disciples. And what he's trying to do as he's talking to his disciples is, is he's trying to show them who he really is. And he's trying to teach them the gospel. And he's trying to teach them what it looks like to follow him. And then he gets to this point in John chapter 15 where he gets at what it's going to be like for them to be friends, where they can draw strength to be the friends that he's intended us to be. And so just listen to these words that he speaks to us in John 15, verses 12 to 14. He says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so what's Jesus say here? He says, greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. Right there, Jesus is talking about himself. Right? He's, he's about to head to the cross for the sins of the world, and he's saying, I'm going to the cross out of love for you. I'm going to the cross out of love for my friends. He's going to be killed by the powers of his day. He's going to experience the wrath of God. He's literally going to go through hell for his friends. And saying the good news for each of you today is that he did all of that for you. That Jesus is the ultimate friend for you. That he takes the hit so you don't have to. That he faces God's judgment so you don't have to. He goes through hell so you don't get a whiff of it. And see, if you get that Jesus has done all of that for you, that, that he's given of himself as the ultimate friend, that gives you strength to be the friend you're meant to be. Here's how that works. Uh, as I'm sure all of you know, uh, this last week, our country experienced yet another uh, mass shooting, uh, this time in San Bernardino, California. Uh, but I don't know if you saw, there's actually a cell phone video taken of, of inside the building um, when this was going on. And in the video, there's this officer leading a group of frightened people out of this building. And, uh, and he says these incredibly powerful words. And you'll have to forgive the vernacular, all right? But I think, I think it's helpful. Uh, he's, he's speaking to the frightened people, this, this officer, and he says this. Try to relax. Try to relax. I'll take a bullet before you do. That's for damn sure. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear those words from 2,000 miles away, and I feel some comfort. I feel some strength from those words. I can't even imagine what it must have been like for those people to hear someone say, try to relax. Try to relax. I'll take a bullet before you do. Greater love has no one than this and that he lay down his life for his friends. Friends, this is who you have in Jesus. And you have a friend who laid down his life for you. He took the bullet for you. 
And see, if you draw strength from that, then you get to begin to live into the sort of friendship he's called you to have. See, that's why he says in this verse, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And see, we read that and we think like, oh, that means I got to do a bunch of stuff. I got to follow all these rules. No, no, no. In, in the gospel of John, the command of Jesus is to believe in him, is to put your trust in him. And so Jesus says, you'll be my friends. You'll be the friends that you're meant to be if you simply put your trust in me. And why does it work that way? See, in the beginning of the Bible, in, the, in Genesis, in the, the story of creation, uh, there's this really beautiful little line, and it says, uh, and, and Adam walked with God. Walked with God. And, and to walk with God is a, is a Hebrewism for friendship. And because this happens in the story of creation, what that tells us is that we were made for friendship with God. That we were made to walk with God in friendship. And so what Jesus says, hey, you put your trust in me as the ultimate friend. You put your trust in me because of what I've done for you, and you are restored to friendship with God. You get to walk with him again the way you were intended to. And if you get that, it gives you the strength to be the friend that we're intended to be. To let people in, and not let them down. So at the beginning of this message, uh, I told you about my friend uh, Josh and I, and where we're at kind of at the, the beginning of our, our, our journeys of, of starting churches, but that isn't actually the, the full story of he and I. Uh, see, what happened is in the, the beginning of 2013, uh, when really the, the grunt work for planting this church, Acts Church Leander, began, um, I had a bunch of stuff I had to do, as you might imagine. And, and so I had to, to raise a bunch of money, and I had to gather a launch team, and I had to figure out what the heck it meant to plant a church. Uh, and, and many of you know, you've probably heard me talk about this in other sermons, but, but for me, as, as I began to, to do this stuff, I, I really started to have some, some mental health issues. And, uh, and I started with insomnia, where, where I just wouldn't sleep, and I'd lay awake. And then that led into anxiety, which led into me having panic attacks, uh, and then from that, I started spiraling into this really deep depression. And so I'm like going through all this and, and feeling isolated alone. And, and uh, I finally started to get some help, and I went to see a counselor, and that was fine. And I was just starting meds, but they hadn't really kicked in yet. And so I was just in this like deep hole. Uh, and, and finally, Melissa, my wife, said to me, she said, hey, Gabe, let's, let's just go see Josh and Jenny. Uh, Jenny's his wife. And, and so we got in the car, and we, we drove to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and we went and saw uh, Josh and Jenny. And, uh, and I just sat down with Josh, and I just laid it all out there for him and was, was open with him. And, and, and guess what? I don't remember a thing he said, right? I don't remember one word he said. But I remember that having a friend who knew me really well, who cared about me deeply and was willing to wade through this stuff with me, man, it made all the difference in the world. And so before we left... Uh, he, he took me to a, a tattoo parlor that one of his members ran. Instantly, if any of you run a tattoo parlor, let me know. We'll get inked up. Uh, and and he, he took me there, and, uh, and he and I, uh, we got matching tattoos. Uh, two dolphins on the small of our backs. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, kidding. Uh, no, we... Uh, <laughs> We, uh, we, got, we got pelicans uh, on the, the inside of our arms. I'll have a picture of it up here. And uh, I've, I've shared this with some of you before, but, but the reason we got pelicans is it's, uh, it's an ancient church symbol for communion. And uh, the legend is that, that a pelican mom, if there's no food, uh, will actually bite off her own flesh and feed it to her babies. 
And, uh, and so we got that as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus is the friend who's given of himself that we can live. That he's given of himself that you can live. That he always lets us in. He never lets us down. He always lets you in. He never lets you down. And that we can do that for each other. And so, actually, Andrew, let's be, let's be those kind of friends. If you all please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for laying down your life for us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to reconcile our relationship with God, but you've done it all, Lord. And because of that, we have perfect friendship with the Father, with you, with the Spirit. Lord, from that friendship, teach us to be good friends. Teach us to be present and empathetic and to speak with truth and love to one another. Pray that for us this day and always. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.